That'll be a blessing. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter number three. I want to begin Stewardship Month today with a message entitled, The Stewardship of Suffering. The Stewardship of Suffering. Uh, Don't waste a season of suffering in your life. And I hope by the end of the message you'll understand what that means. Don't waste a season of suffering in your life. Nothing is allowed in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ unless God allows it. And uh, there are seasons of suffering that uh, we go through. Suffering is not going away. All right. Now, this is my third message on suffering. Lately, I I, I began a a series back on August 21st of this year, 2022, called Making Sense Out of Suffering. And this will be the third message of that. In that uh, message, we talked about the origin of suffering, that suffering is not God's fault. All right, it's because Satan got into the mess and then Eve and Adam started listening to him and his lies and they disobeyed the Lord and they sinned and as a result, God, just as a just judge, had to pronounce judgment on them. That's just what judges do. I mean, you and I can't imagine a judge in town who who is brought, somebody's brought before him and that person's guilty and he says, ah, don't worry about it. And he just kept saying that all the time just passively dismissing whatever they did and just no no we expect a judge to do justice we expect them to condemn the guilty or to set the innocent free that's what judges do and uh, so God pronounced judgment in Genesis 3 you only get in three chapters into the Bible and you understand the origin of suffering he pronounces judgment on Satan He pronounces a judgment on Eve, a judgment on Adam, and a judgment on the whole earth. The whole earth would be cursed. And man would have to make his bread by the sweat of his brow. He'd have to work amongst thorns and thistles. And until he turned back to dust and died. And so that's not God's fault. If you're going to blame anyone, blame the devil, blame us, blame ourselves, blame mankind. Uh, God's just the judge. He just has to, you know, like the judge in town. He's just, he's just got to do his duty. And so that was the origin of suffering. And so I encourage you that week during that message to resign your membership in the Blame God First Club. Just resign your membership and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. When I have to suffer or when there's suffering in the world, I'm not going to blame God first. Uh, I'm going to get out of that club. Uh, Proverbs says, man's heart fretteth against the Lord. So we've got to know the origin of suffering. And then the second message was September the 4th, and I spoke about how things and people are going to get worse and worse and worse in the last days, which I believe we're living in. Evil seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it talks about perilous times. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, boasters, proud, blasphemers, 
Not only are people going to get worse, but things, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, all kinds of things. And our conclusion of that message was that suffering is here to stay. Suffering is here to stay. It's not going to go away, and you're not going to avoid it somehow, neither am I. Uh, It's going to come knocking on our door sometimes. Now, God in his infinite wisdom himself sometimes will choose to use it on us as a tool in his toolbox to make us more like him. And that's kind of what we're going to get into here a little bit today as I talk about the stewardship of suffering. Seeing suffering is here to stay, seeing you're going to suffer, well, let's be good stewards of those seasons and, 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 and try to figure out what God is trying to teach us or do in us or through us uh, through that suffering. Uh, Paul was never healed, even though he prayed three times to God that God would take away this thorn in the flesh, but God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And until this day, 2,000 years ago, we are still amazed at the grace of God when we study the Apostle Paul And what God helped him go through by his grace. And so sometimes you suffer or I suffer so somebody else watching us can see the grace of God in us and be helped. And our children and our youth especially need to see that. Every generation needs to see the grace of God bestowed upon people and sometimes that is through suffering, sometimes it's through their service, You say, wow, look what she or look what he accomplished in his life in service. But sometimes we see the grace of God in suffering. And we say, look what that person went through. How did they get through that? And it's by the grace of God. So I want to try to encourage you this morning to be a good steward of suffering. As I said in the first sermon, don't go through suffering saying, why, 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 but rather what, 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 what? Not why, but what, God, do you want to teach me through this? What do you want to show me? We had men's breakfast yesterday. Some of you were here for it. That was good. Pastor Pete Wigdor has a little part of his message. I don't know if you caught this or not. A little part of his message. He talked about three seasons of suffering that he went through in his life. And how those things brought him closer to the Lord, as we'll see in the scriptures here in a moment. And he talked about one where he was down for about a month in his bed, could do nothing but read his Bible. And he said it was invaluable, the things God taught him during that time, that he probably would not have learned any other way. You know, if you and I are healthy, wealthy, and wise, we're not going to learn a lot of lessons in that season. But boy, when the bottom drops out, uh, all of a sudden God has our attention and he becomes our instructor. And if we're a good steward of that season, we won't have to go through that season again. But sometimes we've got to go through it again and again and again. So God says, when are you going to learn this? You know, it's like going through uh, school again. My brother George failed first grade. He had to go through first grade again. Of course, that's when my mom died and everything, and it threw him off. It was a really difficult time, but, you know, sometimes you've got to go through some things again. 
uh, or course, uh, college or something like that. You got, no, you didn't do it. You got to... It's the same thing with suffering. God's, God's on the other end trying to teach us a lesson, being an instructor, using the tool of suffering on us. And, and if we don't learn what he's, what he's trying to teach us through that, we've got to go through it again. Now, it says here in the scriptures, and, and, and uh, Pastor uh, Ben was just talking about the season he's had the last few weeks. Just you've got some serious stomach problems right now, but he says, boy, he says, he just, and he preached this morning on how God cares about us. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And he says that verse has really become special to him in the last few weeks of his life. See, that's good stewardship of suffering. Sure is better than going through it and saying, what was that all about? Why did God do that to me? You know, some people are too proud to to learn a lesson. Well, let's look at our text to begin with. By the way, I'm I'm going to read your verse here, Don. Don just shared this with me a couple minutes ago while I was trying to play trumpet. Romans 8.18, he says, he just read this. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's not worthy. You can't even think in the same bracket. And he's heard this message before, Don has, but uh, um, the, the, the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy. If we could keep our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I mean, the Lord even said, if we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. You know, the suffering we go through, folks, is nothing compared to the glory. We've got to have faith that the next life's the, the long one. And uh, the next life's the great one. All right, so let's begin looking at verse 8. Philippians 3, verse 8 in the New Testament, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. None of us can say that, but again, we have Paul's life uh, written down for us to study and to, to lean on. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is, by the law, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And verse 10 is our text, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Let's read verse 10 again that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So in his writings, he shares many of his desires. You know, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was his nation. He loved his nation. He shared a lot of his desires. But notice three desires here by way of introduction. Number one, verse 10, that I may know him. That I may know him. He wanted to know Jesus Christ now. Not wait to heaven. We're all going to know him then. But he says, whatever I can know about Jesus Christ, I want to know now in this life. I don't want to just know about him as a historical figure. I don't want to know about him just as my Savior. But I want to know him. 
I want to know him. It's like getting married. You just, you just become very intimate with the person you're married to, and, and they know you, and you know them forward and backward in every way possible uh, by the end, especially if you end up with a good long marriage. Uh, that's what you call really knowing somebody. Knowing somebody. I met uh, Leslie, for instance, in November of 1978. Well, that was quite a while ago. It was about 44 years ago that I met her. Uh, but now I know her. Now I know her. Does that make sense? You receive Christ. That's when you meet Christ. But boy, you can know Him. And that's what Paul said. I want to know Him. In this life, I want to know everything. He was kind of like the New Testament version of David, who was a man after God's own heart. Men, this is men's stuff too. It's lady stuff too. But men, there, there's so many distractions nowadays in this world competing for your heart, competing for your mind, competing for your thoughts. Uh, but they're not worth it. When it's all over, they're not worth being a substitute for knowing the Lord. We need men that will know the Lord like David, a man after God's own heart. He said, God has a heart, and I want to know what's inside of it. That's what David said. And Paul said that I may know him. I want to know him. Then he says, number two, in the power of his resurrection. That's power. Now, man's invented a lot of power. You can shoot a guy off to the moon or put a telescope way out there farther than it's ever been before invent a nuclear bomb, an atomic bomb, but man has never discovered the power that could raise a dead body from the grave and keep it alive forevermore. Only God has that power. All the scientists and doctors and all the manuals that have ever been written, medical manuals, there's not a chapter in them on how to raise a dead person from the dead and keep them alive forevermore. That's the power of God. And he said, I want to know this power in my life now. I don't want to live a powerless life. I want to, I want to live with power. I want to have an influential life. I want God's power Involved in my life, when I pray, I want something to happen. When I teach, I want something to happen. When I preach, I want something to happen. When I witness to somebody, I want something to happen. When I go to work, I want to be an influence there. He says that my speech and my preaching might not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power. He said, I want God, I, I want to have some influence in my life before I die through the power of God. I want to live an effectual life. That's how we all should be. I want to know Christ and I want to know his power. I want to have some influence when they bury me in the grave. I want them to say he or she had some influence on people. People got saved, people's lives were changed, people were called, whatever. Power is resurrection. But then he said a third thing is kind of puzzling. He said, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, fellowship comes from a Greek word here, koinonia, which is the most intimate word that has ever been written in any language for having dialogue with somebody else. 
You know, you and I can talk about the weather or golf or football or whatever or something like that. That's not intimate at all. But he said, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want the suffering that I'm going through in my life join me to Christ in a more intimate way than I've ever been joined to him, that there's, there's, there's nothing else that could bring me that close to him than to suffer. You know, the fellowship of suffering, we, we experience the fellowship of suffering in this life. Let me give you a few examples just so we can then uh, take it into the spiritual realm. But, but people who suffer similar things are more intimate with each other than those who have never suffered the same way. Uh, last Sunday, it was uh, a Gold Star Mother Sunday. You may have noticed that on your calendar. I don't know. You know what a Gold Star Mother is? A gold star mother is a mother in America who lost a son in the war. That's what a gold star mother is. Sometimes you'll see them in parades. They go by here every year in the uh, Eden Corn Festival parade. The gold star mothers. Their boys never came back. From Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq. And I suppose there's some ladies too. I know in Vietnam eight ladies died. And uh, 58,000 men and uh, more, I think, have died now in Afghanistan and Iraq. But but mostly they just never saw their boys again alive, just died. So our country calls them gold star mothers. And you know something? When one gold star mother meets another gold star mother, they might not even know each other's names. But they are bound together in an intimate fellowship that nobody else knows about. That you and I don't know what it's like. And it's their suffering that binds them together in such intimacy. The fellowship of suffering. There's others, many examples we can give, and just even simple examples, simple examples. If you meet somebody and they say, boy, i got to go get my wisdom teeth pulled this week. <clears throat> All right. Any of you that have ever had your wisdom teeth pulled immediately enter into a fellowship with that person. Because you know what they're going to go through. If the time comes, nine months, and a lady's ready to be due, and all of a sudden in church or somewhere somebody says, hey, pray for sister so-and-so, she's in labor. All of you moms that have ever had a baby, listen, this, this is one of the key points of the message today. You do not pray for her. You intercede for her. I do not know how to intercede for her. I've never had a baby. Although men are having babies now. Now that's what they're teaching in school. 
You know, some girl thinks she's a man, then she gets pregnant, and a man's having a baby, so get over it. I mean, that's just the new education. We just got to... What a world. But anyway, I cannot intercede for a woman who's going into labor, but I can pray for her. I cannot intercede for a gold star mother or some dear lady that just gets a word back that her son has been killed in action, but I can pray for her. There is a biblical word that's much deeper than prayer. It's called intercession. Intercession. Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. Hebrews, chapter number 4. Way towards the back of your Bible. Hebrews, chapter 4. We get some insights in the book of Hebrews about Jesus and what he's doing today. We know what he did in the past. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the office of a prophet. He he preached and taught God's word. He became a sacrifice, a substitute for us when he died upon the cross for our sins. Then he was buried and he, as we mentioned, rose from the grave by the power of God. Then he went up into heaven. And we haven't seen him since in about 1,900-some years. Well, what's he doing up there? Well, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. For what? Well, the Bible tells us. It says in verse 14, Hebrews 4, Seeing then that we have a great high priest which is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so Jesus is now fulfilling the office of a priest. And soon he'll be coming to fulfill the office of a king, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So don't get too discouraged about what you see in politics and in America. Jesus is coming. King Jesus is coming soon. Set up his kingdom on earth, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. All the kings that have ever lived will bow before him and confess with their tongues that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. But back to Jesus now, prophet, now he's a priest. And not only is he a priest, verse 14 says, a great high priest. Isn't that great? A great high priest. What is a priest? Someone who makes intercession for someone else. Someone who not only can pray for somebody else, but can intercede, which is deeper than prayer. Why? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities or our sufferings, but was in all points tempted or tested like as we are, yet without sin. You know, none of these made-up religions can claim that. The Buddhists can't claim, you know, God bless them, help, may God help the Buddhists, but they can't claim that they're, the one they're following suffered for them or suffered like them and is making intercession for them. Or Allah. Or none of the Hindu gods. 
But see, the Bible says God was made manifest in the flesh, was justified in the spirit, was seen of angels, was preached unto the Gentiles, was believed on in the world, was received up into glory, visited by angels. Why? Because of his sufferings. His sufferings. And so now he has passed, and he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. There's nobody here in this room who has ever gone through anything but that Jesus knows exactly how you feel, just like a gold star mother knows what another gold star mother feels. I don't know what they feel, but gold star mothers know what each other have, what, what they feel. And Jesus knows what you feel and what I feel because he came to earth and he was a human, but the difference between him and you and I was his life was a lot harder than anything we've gone through. A lot harder. Now we get overinflated opinions of ourselves, which is a fancy way of saying proud, and think that we're really going through it. You know, we're really going through it. I mean, only 9% of people on earth own a car, but boy, we're really going through it. We're suffering. I've only got three cars and one's broken down. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And that's how we suffer. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Are you tempted today? Are you struggling with some temptation, some weakness in your flesh, some besetting sin, some overwhelming fault? Now, he never yielded to it, but he was tempted like we were, yet without sin. He knows what you're going through, and you can fellowship with him. You can kneel down, verse 16, and say, Lord, you went through this. He faced Satan head to head for 40 days on the Mount of Temptation. I don't know if Satan's ever messed around one second with little Artie Cole. He'd probably put a little few peons, demons, on my case. Oh, the devil's been all over him. Well... He's got a host of demons, devils, that he assigns. But he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. God is. And we, you know, I, I don't even know if he's found me worthy. Job, Job, he went after Job, remember that? He went after him. He went after Joshua, the high priest in the, the Old Testament. He went after him. That, that would make sense. But we can come boldly. So what I want to encourage you to do in kind of closing the message here is, is just as you're studying Jesus, and there's so many aspects, facets of his life to study, but, but study his suffering sometime. Be acquainted with his suffering sometime and then compare them to things you're going through. Have you had a hard childhood? Do you know what his childhood was like? He's born in a barn. Remember that story? No room in the inn. He got chased off to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill him personally. When he was two years old or younger? I haven't, I haven't faced that yet. 
His, his mom and stepdad took him down to Egypt. Then when they heard that Herod was dead, they, they left Egypt, went up to Nazareth. Oh, wonderful place, wonderful environment to live, Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Worked in an air-conditioned office with a computer. Got some carpal tunnel. No, he's a carpenter. Did you ever see how primitive the tools were they used back then? To cut down trees, to plane wood, to fasten wood? Can you imagine doing that till you're 30 years of age? I think his stepfather died. I personally do. I think Joseph died. He, he, death touched his family. Because he's on Calvary and he looks out and sees his mom and finds a place for her to stay. And she goes to live with John. Do you ever see the archaeological digs of Nazareth and how small they are, how small the houses are? And the Bible tells us Jesus had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. Big family in a little house. The firstborn son, all the responsibility fell on him. And he's working and working and working in absolute obscurity for 30 years as a carpenter. What a hard way to make a living. I don't know how your childhood was. But if you have a hard childhood, you've got a Savior in heaven who's your high priest who knows what you're going through. And He can not only pray for you, He can intercede for you, and you can fellowship with Him in your sufferings. And if your childhood home life is bad, you can say, Lord, my home life is difficult. Would you help me? And he sure could. He said, I know. Go back to Hebrews 2, verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succour them that are tempted. Very important word there, S-U-C-C-O-U-R. We've got to know the definition of that. The best synonym in the English language for us today is help. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succour or help them that are tempted. Are you tempted? Jesus is able to help you. So he gets baptized. After baptism, everything's fine, right? Just tell us. Some preachers say that. Yeah, you get saved, baptized, your problems are over. Seems like some Christians promote that doctrine. For Jesus, his was just beginning. The Bible says the devil drove him into the wilderness, and he was tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat or drink for 40 days or 40 nights, and he was with the wild beasts, not the domestic cats and dogs and the labradoodles. He was with the wild beasts. Now, if you hadn't eaten in 40 days or drank anything in 40 days and the devil was on your case all that time, any one of us who has struggled in some season of temptation can run to Jesus and he'll not only pray for you, he'll intercede for you. 
He'll intercede. But you got to fellowship. You got to say, Lord, I, I, you, you went through this. You did it successfully. I haven't helped me. Would you help me? Some of you are struggling with addictions and temptations. You got to start crying out to the Lord. You got to start crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, help me. And you'll be surprised what He does for you. It'll be amazing. And you'll become a testimony of His grace. Look at Hebrews 7. We'll close with this one, I think. You never know. By the way, he gets done with those 40 days of in the wilderness or, uh, mountain temptation. And guess what happens? God sends angels from heaven to minister to him. Have you ever been sick for a season in your life? I mean, he was weak. Angels, like literally divine medics, had to be summoned from heaven, and God said, go help my son. That's how, whatever word, I don't know, sickly, emaciated he was, maybe. Literally needed divine medics to come and help him. Have you ever been through a season of suffering, been in the hospital? Cry out to Jesus. He'll not only pray for you, he'll intercede for you. He'll get deep into it and say, he needs your, he needs your help, Father. I've been there. He needed an angel come to the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying so earnestly that his, he began to sweat great drops of blood. And the Bible says God sent an angel to the Garden of Gethsemane strengthening him. He knows what it's like to go through things spiritually, temptations, physically, all the hardships he's grown with. And it says here in Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Now, here's the answer right here. What's he doing now? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus is doing now. He's not up there twiddling his thumbs at the right hand saying, tell me when I can go, Father. Get my bride. No, no, he's interceding for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying. He's crying. He's begging for the Father to help you in your sufferings. So I want to encourage you to fellowship with him in your sufferings, no matter what you go through. No matter what you go through, Jesus has been through something like that or something similar. He was rejected. You ever been rejected? He was rejected at Nazareth. He was rejected. He went to Capernaum. He went to Chorazin. He was rejected. He went to Bethsaida. He was rejected. He went to the Samaritans. He was rejected. He went to Jerusalem. They was, he was rejected. And they said, take him out of here. Crucify him. Everywhere he went. You think you're going to be popular being a Christian? Being a witness for Jesus Christ? He was run out of Nazareth. His brethren didn't believe in him till after the resurrection. That's what it says. Have you gone through that? Do you have to sit alone at work because everybody else knows what you are? Jesus knows exactly how you feel at those moments. And you can cry out and say, Lord, help me. You were rejected. He was cursed. He was spit on. He was crowned with thorns. He was insulted and reviled and flogged and crucified. He went farther than we did. 
Even after his resurrection, it says some of them didn't believe him. Even after that. He went through all kinds of things that we went through. He didn't own a pillow. You got any pillows at your house? You're doing well. He didn't own a pillow. Some of us need to quit complaining about what we don't own. That the Joneses have. Just be thankful for what we got. You can know Christ more intimately by fellowshipping with Christ in his suffering. You know, my mom died of cancer when I was a four-year-old boy. I didn't know it at the time. But who, who would know as a four-year-old boy God would make you a minister someday and you would meet people over and over and over again whose families were touched by cancer? And you can immediately say, hey, I know what you're going through. We went through it. I saw my dad go through it, my brother George and Dave and, and myself go through it. And, and I just want you to know that it took a little while, but we turned to the Lord. And the Lord helped us through that season. And the Lord healed our broken hearts. And the Lord helped us. And, and I, can, I can, I'll use this word just so we understand, I can relate to them. I can have the fellowship of their sufferings. Do you ever have a child die? I've told people many times, they say, why am I going through this? I said, you wait. I said, down the road someday you're going to meet someone going through the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 1, says, God is comforting you with the comfort through your suffering so you'll be able to comfort them. God is preparing you to be a minister for somebody you're going to meet down the road 10 years from now who's going to go through the same thing. You ever been through a divorce? God was divorced. He had to give Israel a bill of divorcement. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're feeling. Jeremiah 3 says, right, he said, come back to me, for I am married to you. But they said, no, we want to go out with these other women. That's the other gods of all the other world, the countries. And he had to give them a bill of divorcement. If I was divorced, I'm not, but if I was divorced, I'd get on my knees and say, God, you know how much this hurts? You've been through this. You loved Israel more than anyone. And she left you. You know how I feel. God help me. That's what I'd say. It's called the fellowship. of So be a good steward of your sufferings. Be a good steward. You'll get to know God better. You'll get to know Jesus more intimately. If you'll be a good steward and say, okay... There's a reason for this. What I'm going through now, financially, mentally, emotionally, maritally, family, temptations, whatever it is. Maybe I didn't touch on what you're going through, but what you're going through isn't unique. Someone's been through it. And you need to be a good steward of that. And you need to somehow unite with Christ over that thing, and you'll get closer to Him. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the insights that are in it. 
And uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the verse that says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We thank you that every time in the Bible you are spoken of as sitting on the right hand of the Father, you're always there as a man. We thank you that 85 times you called yourself the Son of Man, stressing your humanity. And we thank you that you go far beyond prayer for us and you intercede. Lord, may we intercede for those we know who are suffering like we've suffered and really bond with them and help them through those times. Make us, O oh God, able ministers of the New Testament, we pray. And may we, through it all, learn more about Jesus than we've ever known. In his precious name we pray, amen. I'd like us to take our psalm books and turn to uh, page 317, 317. What a friend we have in Jesus. I hope this psalm, maybe it'll mean a little bit more to you today because of the truths we've read in the Bible. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry. Everything to God in prayer. It's not wrong to say, God, I'm hurting right now. Would you help me? As we stand together and sing, maybe you'd like to come and pray. God's house is a house of prayer. The altar's open. Come and pray. Pray for someone else.